What number is this, Chip? Zilch 158, the Monkees debut album deluxe double set with Andrew Sandoval. That's me. <laughs> okay, no, I mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I'm Zilch. Zilch. You're listening to Zilch, a Monkees podcast. Welcome back to Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. And today we are joined by Andrew Sandoval. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you, Ken. It's a pleasure to be back talking to you about the monkeys. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since we've talked. Uh, the world has been in lockdown, or as Paul McCartney is calling it, rockdown, right? So uh, here we are, and you've been busy. I've been very busy. Um, it's funny, you know, it doesn't, it, 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 on the calendar, it doesn't look like a long time, but I guess it was a long time just because each day passes in a little bit of a different way since March, you know? So I think last time we talked, we were talking about the Mike and Mickey show live album, which came out in April. Mm-hmm. And now here we are down, uh, staring down the end of October and, a different monkey's record going back to the beginning and a different sort of world that we're living in. Absolutely it is. And the, the Mike and Mickey show album was fantastic. Fans loved it. We all had different plans for 2020 and then we all got to see what it really was. Get the joke 2020 clear vision, you know, looks different than we thought it would. So (laughs) here we are, but we're still here. And there's some cool stuff going on. I want to talk to you today about the new Run Out Grooves reissue of the Monkees' first album. Could you talk a little bit about how this came to be and how Monkees fans kind of are the reason this is happening? Right. Well, yeah, it, it, there's a couple couple of things I can put into the background. Um, John Hughes, as you might imagine, was very interested in uh, this project at the outset. And something we talked about a couple of years ago, we originally were going to do some kind of subscription series for Monkees fans because um, we both felt that the Monkees vinyl releases could be better. And I say that um, with um, a great deal of trepidation because I know that there have been a number of Monkees vinyl releases over the years. I'm sure people are saying, what do you mean they could be better? But, you know, We've seen this resurgence in vinyl, um, and specifically really, really well done vinyl. And I always thought, like, we've taken the Monkees catalog to such a high standard, higher than a lot of their other 60s contemporaries as far as putting out so many outtakes and other things. But we have never been able to do a really audiophile vinyl set, even though there was a box set, uh, a vinyl box set some years ago, which I wasn't involved in. Uh, but, you know, there were little things that we could do that we hadn't done and so the project sort of sat in limbo for several years as these projects often do and then uh the folks at run out groove uh said hey we want to do this monkey's record we'll do this whole campaign and we do voting 
And you know, you have to compile it though, and you have to figure out exactly how we would get it done in this high level so that people will understand why it's unique and worthwhile for them to get. So that was my task, and uh, and I think we, we pulled off something that is unique to this vinyl set versus all of the previous Rhino vinyl, all of the previous Arista vinyl, all of the Japanese vinyl, all of the Friday music vinyl. This is unique, not just for a few bonus tracks, but for precisely how we went about cutting the record, and I'll go into all the details for it. Mm-hmm. And Monkey's fans had to vote on this. This was the power of the vote, right? That's right. Yeah, they, that's part of the scenario with Renault Group, where if there isn't enough interest, they just won't do the record, which I think is fair because, you know, a lot of things these days, people, especially I, people I work for, they're like, I, I don't know if this is going to sell. I just, you know... We can only afford to do this if it's if there's people there, and we don't know if anybody cares anymore. I mean, how many versions of this Monkeys album have there been? You know, are people going to be into it? And people were into it. So, uh, and now with the sales, we we sold I think a thousand in one day in the pre-order. So it showed that the Monkeys fans really are into this, and I think that they're going to be pleased with with what I've got. Um, mm-hmm. lined up for them on this. Well, let's talk about the physical aspects of it. There was originally a, what, a yellow version? Right. That's the thing. Um, they thought, well, we'll do this limited yellow version. You know, we'll be lucky if we sell 500 or something, but they sold 1,000 in a day. And I had a lot of Monkees fans come to me, you know, who are my friends, and they said, come on, they didn't really sell those records. You're just doing that because, you know, you want to, you know, step on the fans yet again. I said, no, they actually sold the thousand records and they were all really surprised because <laughs> they didn't think they were going to sell the thousand records. So, um, you know, they thought, well, maybe we can get through these thousand records eventually and then maybe we'll do the black vinyl version. But now, you know, they got through it in one day because the interest was a lot higher than uh, had been imagined by both the Monkees fans and Faithful and the record company itself. So we're in a unique position. Um, so now the yellow vinyl sold through. I think everybody who got in their order for the yellow vinyl on that first day will get it um, as far as if they were you know, confirmed for it. And now it's onto the black vinyl, which I'm sure will be very good too, because the, the real quality in this besides the visual is how the record was cut mm-hmm. uh, and the process and what sources we used. So uh, it's going to sound a bit better than, I think, the other previous vinyl iterations of this record. Mm-hmm. Now, it was mentioned that you would have to cut lacquers. Right. Can you explain that to people who are not big vinyl heads? You know, there's some people that just bought records and put them on and that was it. They loved them. They bought CDs, cassettes, whatever. Can you talk about mastering this and what makes this different and maybe even more, I don't know how you want to say it, with more vitamins than you were able to get in 1966? Right. Well, exactly. And that's why I'm here. That I, and that's why I really wanted to come on and, and talk today and tell all the Zilch listeners my process so that I wouldn't have to answer all those private messages mm-hmm. and the billions of emails like, how did you really do, what did you use for this? So. The process of making a record is that 
you transfer the source, and that source could be analog or digital, meaning a tape or a file or a CD or something, and then you cut it onto what is called a lacquer, which is a, a vinyl, like sort of a, a disc. It's not a vinyl record, but it's, it's an acetate disc, um, which a lathe cuts a groove into. And from that, um, that's sent off to a plant, and then they uh, treat that, and then they make a reverse stamper of it. And then from that stamper, they, you know, they make they make the record. So that's a very simplified version. I know there's a lot of cringy people out there right now saying he skipped a lot of steps right. there. But 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 this is just for the lay person. Yeah. So I, and and that was probably a little bit. People already tuned me out there. But <laughs> but the you know when when you take your file. You put it through a board usually, and you apply EQ sometimes and other things to get it to spit onto the record. Because um, the process of putting it on the record, when you see all those lines in your record, it's it's all about lines per inch and what you can mm -hmm. squeeze on. Um, if you've got very little content and very short playing time of the of the music, then you can space out those lines and get a nicer cut and also have it at a higher volume. There's all these different things that you need to factor in when you're cutting a record versus uh, just putting music out there to be heard on Spotify or on a CD or anything. I mean, each process is different. And I came in on the very end of the vinyl era uh, when I started doing reissues. And so um, I've seen the last several years, we've cut a lot of records. I've been doing a lot of records on the kinks and we did cut uh, vinyl on the Mike and Mickey show album, uh, which was really a fun project. And, the person that I love to cut vinyl with is a guy named Kevin Gray. Um, if you look him up, he has a, a place called Coherent. That's C-O-H-E-A-R-E-N-T, uh, mastering. And he's very well regarded in the audiophile world. And he's a very nice guy, and he's a Monkees fan too because um, he does really beautiful cutting. And I always know when I get my test pressing back that it's going to sound good if it came from Kevin's studio. And I personally – supervised this cutting and i'll tell you about the process now unless you have another question about that specifically well another thing for a lay person it says that this is going to be pressed on two 180 gram vinyl records what does that mean to the average person why does that matter from the one that they have sitting in their record collection already well it's going to be thicker mm -hmm. <laughs> and heavier heavier weight. Um, there are different theories as to whether the weight of the vinyl is uh, going to give you superior performance. A lot of this comes down to also your turntable and other things. So mm -hmm. I'm not even going to weigh in on whether or not 180 gram is going to be better than your regular 120 gram record, which, you know, the older records are heavier. If you have those 1970s Michael Nesmith records on Dynaflex, you know, those are very lightweight mm -hmm. records that are very bendy because they're trying to protect against warpage. But that's that's what it's about, the actual weight, the physical thickness of the vinyl is, is 180 grams. And there's two because it's the original album plus a bonus album full of wonderful bonus cuts. Mm -hmm. And there are many tracks that are going to be making their vinyl debut with these mixes on this set, correct? That's right. Yeah, I dug out a few. There's always a few stragglers here and there on the, in the monkeys world. And I thought I asked, you know, permission to John Hughes and 
and uh, <laughs> and the guy who runs Frenet Groove, Matt Block. Is it okay to put something unique on the record, um, you know, that hasn't been out before, you know, because it's up to them. It's not totally up to me. And they said, oh, yeah, sure, you know, run it by us. Let's see what you have. So I kind of reviewed what I had for a bonus disc because the way I imagined this record was, uh, you know, those super deluxe boxes, I get to put whatever I want on, really, kind mm -hmm. of. But with this, I wanted to have an album that would be the original album, but then a second album that would play down like the best material from those sessions, mm. you know? And, and, and so it, because it's a vinyl record and can't fit everything on it, at least not everything in good quality, if you pack on too many songs, it's not going to sound as good. But um, I thought, well, let's just pick out the best of the stuff from this period. And, in this case, it's a lot of stuff to do with the TV show and the, the early days of the TV show. So we have a lot of the TV mixes. Now, I know a few of these things turned up on um, those uh, cereal box flexi things that mm -hmm. uh, Rhino did kind of a novelty version of that. Well, you know, those are not very hi-fi. And then there was a, a record store day uh, disc. And I think that that might have had a few of the, the things on them. So I'm not entirely sure if every single thing here that says previously unissued on vinyl is is I'd have to go through piece by piece. I know there was some discrepancy there, but there are a number of unissued on vinyl things. And also we dug out a radio spot uh, that they were, they, they, the four monkeys did together for the KHJ uh, last year in the Clarksville uh, contest that occurred on September 11th, 1966. Found another demo of Davey doing I Want to Be Free, which is the earliest monkeys recording in a, in, in a way from um, Jane, um, sorry, December of 1965. Wow. I'm very date-driven these days because I've been working on my book. So yes. all this history is very important. And um, and then I remixed a couple of songs because uh, I found that we could get better results now uh, with the transfers that we had. That I could kind of get something a little closer to what I wanted on these um, couple of songs, um, So Goes Love and Pretty. They're both um, Michael Nesmith productions from 1966. July and and um, you know there were no original mixes of these done in the 60s that have surfaced so we've done a variety I say we because Billinglot in the early days did some mixing too on uh, missing links and missing links too and those kinds of records um, and we're always just trying to get something that sounds good uh, and doesn't sound too modern and doesn't sound you know Sounds like it fits with the other records, uh, you know, on the on uh, the other songs. So, so that was my goal here to kind of spruce it up, not just to create more rarities that were only in one place. <laughs> that happens, but that the the thing was, how can I kind of elevate this and make this the best it can be? And that's that's what I came up with those those songs. So. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that I'm really interested in, as weird as this may sound to someone, because it's never the cover that's the book, it's the book that's the book, right? It's, you know, uh, what is important is the music, but one of the cool things that this is going to have, it's going to, it's going to have a gatefold for the first time, right? Right, well, unless you lived in Japan, where all the records had gatefolds. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's going to have a gatefold, and uh, we should have some nice photos on the interior. I think we're still kind of uh, hashing that out. Even though you've seen a product shot out there online, there's still some bits and pieces that we're sort of moving around. And it's also going to have an insert 
um, which is going to be what they call a four-panel insert, basically like an LP-sized um, insert that will have liner notes because it's going to have a lot of information and a lot of stuff coming uh, out of the research I've done for my new book. So um, it's not just going to be a rehash of my previous writing on this album, which I've written on the album a few times. So, you know, each each time you visit a, a classic record, it's an opportunity to do things a little differently, but also do it better if you can, you know, and and hopefully you you, you hit the mark. What is your big goal for this album? What do you hope comes of this? And, and what are you thrilled to, to like actually have happening at this point? Well, um, my big goal happened, which was that we, <laughs> I have to go back to the cutting of the record and not to bore people, but I think this is really important. People say like, well, look, I've got a version on Sundays, or I've got a version on Friday music, or I've got the Rhino vinyl from 1986 or 87 or whatever it was, or I think Arista might've put out vinyl on this as well, or I've got the Japanese pressing on Bell. Why is this any different? Well, it's the first time since the 1960s that the original mixes have been cut onto vinyl directly from analog tape using all analog EQ. I know other places purported to have done it from masters, but a lot of the times they were digital uh, masters, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what Kevin Gray and I uh, endeavored to do was to match the original Cole Gems pressings, but in a modern way where they would be a little bit better fidelity. So um, RCA were not the best fidelity uh, people as far as uh, pressing records, and and they pressed millions and millions of these monkeys records, but um, they, you know, a, a lot of people have them out there, the original copies, and they they don't sound that great. So, but we did start with an original Cole Jim stereo pressing of the album and matched the tapes to uh, to the pressing. And specifically, the issues with the Monkees archive are that it's not just that, oh yeah, we've got, here's the stereo master for the first album or even any of the albums. A lot of the tapes we have don't exactly match the vinyl uh, that they put out. Uh, and the tapes went from here to there and changed hands a few times. They went to Screen Gems, they went to RCA, you know, they went to Rhino, Rhino, then Rhino licensed them, then Rhino bought them in 94. And even then we've been on a search for tapes and we're still finding tapes. Um, even this year, I've recovered some new tapes that we didn't have. So um, what we did was we we had to locate the best sources. And in fact, the album is cut from two different sources. Um, side A is from a copy uh, of the master that was sent to Germany in 1966, late 66. And that is the best source that we have for that side of the album. However, when lining it up with the original Cole Jim's vinyl, we realized that it didn't match the speed exactly. So we used an analog device to match the speed. And we also noticed that it was deficient in bass, that it didn't have as much bass as the original Colgen's pressing. So we used all analog EQ to match the bass frequencies of the original Colgen's pressing. And we did that track by track. We also noticed that the what they called the spreads which are the silences between the songs mm -hmm. we noticed that those didn't match exactly the cold gym so we 
we tighten those up and may and physically with splice, splicing tape we physically cut the splicing tape down so it would match the original experience of playing a cold gems pressing all these little detail things are are important to me and and uh, I've done them on other reissues, and I haven't been able to do them on a monkey's record before, uh, on a vinyl record, because I haven't been involved. So these were fun things, and this was kind of my goal. Like, you know, it can really create a, an amazing experience, um, even for somebody who's listened to their Cold Gems records again and again. Now, for the second side of the record, we have the original U.S. protection copy of that side. Uh, we don't have the protection copy for side A, for whatever reason it's lost. But it was a, it's a much better fidelity uh, thing than the German. And the EQ matches, and we, uh, we managed to match a lot of the, the spreads just dead on uh, between the songs. Now, when Rhino uh, did the original vinyl, when they licensed the record uh, in the 80s, my friend Bill Inglot had the opportunity to remix some songs. And so he remixed some songs on, um, on the record. And... Um, those were sort of on the surreal too, but that's why the Rhino vinyl, the original one, isn't the original 66 mixes. He, you know, he he inserted some remixes. So this is the first time all of the original stereo mixes are done from analog tape, direct with analog EQ, and done in this sort of fastidious style to match the Cold Gems uh, pressing. And um, I think it came out really, really nicely. Sounds good. Fantastic. So you want to go through the track listing with me? Sure. Do you want to talk about the original album or do you want to talk about the second album? Well, let's just, let's go with the original album, then we'll come up on the uh, second disc. But so disc one is the album proper. Right. And uh, you've got, of course, we all know this from, from years gone by, right? <laughs> We've got Theme from the Monkeys, Saturday's Child, I Want to Be Free, Tomorrow's Gonna Be Another Day, Papa Jean's Blues, and Take a Giant Step, as you found on the album you've had all your life, right? <laughs> and then side B is Last Train at Clarksville, This Doesn't Seem to Be My Day, Let's Dance On, I'll Be True to You, Sweet Young Thing, and Gonna Buy Me a Dog. These are all stereo mixes. All the original stereo mixes too, no remixes and no uh, no funny business. <laughs> and the bass is going to be a little more oomph in your paw, right? Yeah, depending on what your pressing was at the time. I mean, what we found was the Cold Gems pressings actually had some good frequencies, uh, some good bass and, and good top end, but they're really noisy. There's a lot of crackles and pops and this and that. And uh, test pressing I've heard so far in this is uh, not that, so... Fantastic. So then you've got the what we're calling side C or the first side of disc two. You want to go through this? Sure. Yeah. This monkey's radio spot is different than uh, the other radio spot that previously appeared on, I think, the deluxe CD that came out in 2006 or even the um, the super deluxe edition, the three CD handmade box. Um, it's it's it doesn't appear on either of those. It's a totally different radio spot, and it's the four monkeys together uh, doing a funny spot for the uh, the KHJ contest. Um, I think the timing though that they have on this uh, posted on on the website is wrong. It says two minutes and twelve, and it's much shorter. <laughs> it's probably about a minute long. And then there's um, theme for the monkeys TV version and 
that is the one you heard on the TV show, and it's different than the album version. They sing "We May Be Coming to Your Town" at the end, mm -hmm. and the album version is a totally different recording. It's not like they just edited down uh, the recording. Boyce and Hart went into the studio and specifically recorded a separate backing track with the same music musicians and the same lead singer, Mickey Dolan. So it sounds similar, but it's uh, it's still a different recording. Hmm. Then we have uh, TV versions of "This Just Doesn't Seem to Be My Day." Uh, all the King's Horses, the fast version of I Want to Be Free, like on the album, you get the ballad version, and this is the fast version that was in the pilot with Mickey and Davey singing. And then You Just May Be the One, the fast TV version, which is still, I think, one of the great Monkeys recordings. And then Take a Giant Step, the TV version, which I think has a different vocal from Mickey. The Monkeys mixology guys have really done a great job of figuring out the minute differences between all of these. And um, all the King's Horses, I have to go back to that. All these years, it always upset me that we didn't have the final tape of that uh, because the, we had a multi-track that was sort of unfinished, and the one on the TV show just sounded so much more finished. And this, you know, these TV versions were rescued uh, about four years ago when we were restoring the TV show. We found that the mag elements, that so they had separate mag elements with a, a decent enough sound where we weren't dubbing them directly off the episodes. We were dubbing them off of a different source where the sound effects weren't overlaid and other things. So it's kind of a, a fun thing that we got. And we used a bunch of these on the Super Deluxe Edition, which is now very out of print and super pricey on, online. So mm -hmm. it's nice to, for, to give these another bit of life. Um, the second album, uh, sorry, sorry, the second side of, of this second album includes the Theme for the Monkey's second version and um, that is kind of an unusual thing that I haven't been able to date even in all of my research and my new research, which has kind of put a lot of things in place. This is a sort of a, a rough recording with Mickey and Tommy Boyce on it that has been out on a number of the CD reissues now, but I think it has not appeared on vinyl before. We have the mono TV mix of Saturday's Child. Uh, then the mix I did for the Super Deluxe Edition of I Don't Think You Know Me, which is uh, a song written by Goffin and King and originally sung by Mickey. And then Michael, in 1966, sort of, he was producing the record and he thought, well, I'm going to try and sing this on my own without Mickey. So, uh, and neither version met with Don Kirshner's approval, so neither originally came out. But there are a lot of variations out there, and this was the 2014 uh, mix that I did. And then So Goes Love is a song, another Goffin King song produced by Michael Nesmith and uh, sung by Davy Jones. And I was always kind of unhappy with the mixes that we had of it. Uh, the first one that came out that Bill Inglot did, uh, he's kind of sped it up, which was fine. Um, but I want to go back to the original speed and also see if I could do anything um, to accentuate uh, the amazing backing, which has got some great backing musicians like Billy Preston you may have heard on the Beatles records. Mm -hmm. It's playing some wonderful electric uh, keyboard. And um, there's a lot of nice things about that production. Um, and then I Can't Get Her Off My Mind was a track that was originally cut right with Last Train to Clarksville, but Don Kirshner didn't think anything of it. It was done at a Boys and Heart session, and he let it go by the wayside. The Monkees liked it themselves because before it even came out, they were performing it live in their stage show starting in December of 66. And then when headquarters rolled around in March of 67, they recut their own version. But this is the 66 version from July, I think, 
uh, of 66. And then Prithee, Do Not Ask for Love, which is an interesting song because if you look in Monkey's history, it's one of the few songs that three of the four monkeys all tried their hand at, at singing. Mm-hmm. Mickey Dolenz did an amazing uh, acapella multi-voiced version on his Remember album. Uh, Davey sang this original version, which Michael produced, uh, and then Michael thought the better of the production and revised it and had Mickey sing a version. And then Peter later did a version that you hear on the 33 and a third Revolutions Per Monkey special. So it's a song that they really enjoyed. It's written by Michael Martin Murphy, and uh, it was also recorded by a band called The New Society, who featured a couple of members who were in a band with Michael in 1965, just before the monkeys called the survivors. And, uh, it's, it's a really intriguing song. I think a lot, all the monkeys were really intrigued by it, especially Michael who cut a couple of versions. And then the last song on the disc is actually kind of the very first thing that was recorded for the monkeys with an actual monkey, meaning boys and harder recorded demos that were used in the pilot episode. Many of you have now seen either on the Blu-ray box or online or in, even in the VHS box set, the original pilot with Boyce and Hart singing the songs. Uh, but immediately after the pilot, unbeknownst to me, I, I just discovered this sort of years later, that Bob Rafelson, Tommy Boyce, and Bobby Hart all went to the studio and tried to record a new cut with Davey singing the lead. And... This version was never used, but it was sort of the first recording with that team of people, Rafelson, Boyce and Hart, Davey, and they're doing a song destined for the monkeys. And I think that the idea was they would dub it into the pilot uh, to sort of give it that exact feeling of Davey singing because they realized that Davey had such a talent for conveying emotion. And uh, it didn't get in there, but they did two different attempts at it. And this is another... Uh, take that has not been on any previous release on any monkeys uh, thing that's out there and it's not even out there on youtube or anything so it's kind of cool wow that is fantastic yeah so once again you're putting the the hard work into it you're you're making something that monkeys fans are going to cherish Uh, i don't want to embarrass you though Uh, you might want to add a third disc to this set uh, because I, I'm offering this to you. I was going to put it up for auction, but I have a cassette tape where I used to record these. I had a, one of those old mono recorders, and you had the microphone that you'd plug into it, and I'd hold it up to the TV speaker, and I would tape these songs that are now on this. And uh, on there is also a couple songs that might have been on Scooby-Doo or the Partridge Family. <laughs> but I'm offering them up to you free, no charge, if you want to make a third disc for this. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. It would be kind of a battle, though, Ken, because I think that I did the same thing when I was <laughs> watching the, the shows. And, boy, the TV versions always were just so uh, so important to me and i would get so excited to hear the tv version of you just may be the one or words and then you know figuring out which episode had the most complete version of the song mm-hmm. was so exciting too so you know I, i'm uh I mean, that's how i got into this is is being passionate about the the music it's not and it's not just a sort of a job for me so when i approach each one of these projects i think how can we make this sort of different and special for fans like myself, you know, I, I relate to the people buying the, uh, the stuff. So, um, so I hope I did 
I did the right thing and got got it on there for you. But you know that third disc, you'll have to make your own. There you go. Fan version, and I'm sure there are fans who can uh, make their own third and fourth disc out of the stuff that's on the Super Deluxe Edition. You know, mm-hmm. add the Davy solo tracks that they like, all the Michael Blessing and all of that sort of thing. Maybe add Don't Do It and Huff Puff. It's too bad Peter doesn't have recordings from that period that we've found. But uh, I've certainly been delving into their early history quite a great deal for this new book. So I have uh, turned over a lot of rocks looking for new material. And uh, I know a lot more about what they were doing before the monkeys and and sort of after, too. Well, that kind of brings us to your other current project, right? Right. So... This yeah. is exciting. This is something that we we have been pestering you about as fans. We we want this. You want to set it up? Yeah, so in 2005 I put out a book called The Monkeys the Day by Day Story and it was uh, a book that really is exactly what the title says. It's sort of a reference book. It goes day by day from about 1942 through 1970 going through all the monkeys recording sessions, the filming dates for their TV shows where I had them, their concerts, and kind of gives you the details, the rundown of what they were doing every day in the 1960s. And um, when I was in Australia with Mike and Mickey on tour, I had this sort of feeling like it's been 15 years since I did the book. Um, Cause I originally, I wrote it in 2004 and it came out in 2005. Um, and I think it's I think I'm ready to climb back up the mountain and and work on it again. I, and um, the initial thought was that I would do the back end of the book that people are always asking about. What you know, we want to know about the 1970s monkeys. We want to know about the 80s monkeys. We want to know about the 90s monkeys, even though a lot of us were alive and experienced a lot of that stuff. And. I got into that when I came back from Australia and I started doing the seventies and, and fleshing all of those out. And I was really enjoying the research because it was all kind of new to me. And I was thinking about the front end of the book and I was like, well, I've got some corrections and I have some new material to integrate. Um, but you know, I'm going to kind of leave that as is and, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll work on this back end of the book that people are always asking me about. And I was enjoying it. And uh, but then I thought, well, there are some other TV there. People have also, you know, I took criticism to heart. People were mostly very nice about the original book and they still use it a lot for their own research or, you know, to spin off their own books. And, and that's very flattering. But they said, well, you know, you didn't really focus enough on the TV show for me. It's a lot of stuff about these recording sessions. I'm not that interested and for me, the whole thing was about the music and the recording sessions, and I really did get into a lot of the minutia about that stuff because it was what the original impetus of the book was. So I thought, well, you know, I should sort of beef up this TV information. I bet that some of these call sheets and other things have turned up out there that I don't have, uh, and maybe I can you know, bolster that TV part of the book. And so when I started digging for that, I was approached uh, by a friend of mine who said, well, you know, I came up with this interesting legal document um, from 1967. You know, does that interest you? And I said, well, I'm not sure. You know, why don't you send me a little bit of it and uh, I'll see. So he did. And I was like, wow, this is really fascinating material. 
So, um, and it had to do with um, Don Kirshner and his lawsuit uh, against Columbia Pictures and Raybert, the people who produced the monkeys, and, and about the monkeys fight to be a band. You know, that we we all, I think everybody listening to this podcast knows the monkeys fought really hard to be a band in their own right. But I found that surviving in court archives were thousands, literally thousands of pages of documents relating to this struggle that the monkeys had and their interactions with Don Kirshner, who's been painted as a bad guy um, and, you know, sort of Machiavellian and all this stuff. But a lot of that's uh, just what we sort of a greater understanding, like the monkeys should be free. The monkeys should do what they want. Headquarters is a great record. Pisces Aquarius is a great record. But we didn't really know all the facts about specifically who did what, when, and what the monkeys were feeling inside during this period, because the only information that we have to relate to is interviews they did later on, eighties or nineties or two thousands when they had moved on different feelings about this specific period or the teen magazines, which only reported stuff. And they're usually about three or four months behind on a lot of the news. Well, I went to New York in February of this year before lockdown or rockdown, depending on if you're Paul McCartney or me. And uh, <laughs> it was a kind of a miracle because another friend suggested, well, you have this case number. You can go and look up this stuff about this case. And I contacted the court actually at the end of um, 2019. And they said, we have two gigantic boxes full of stuff relating to this case. And you can pay a researcher, but it's too much stuff for us to physically um, you know, scan for you. So I paid myself. <laughs> I spent quite a big uh, bit of money to get a hotel room near the uh, court archive house and went in every day and looked through over 2,000 pages of detailed depositions and documents about the monkeys in 1966 and 67 and their interactions with Don Kirshner. And so I learned a great deal about the monkeys that I had no idea about. I learned a great deal about how they made their records. I learned a great deal about the first time that they played together as a group in 1965, the feelings that they had, because they told uh, under oath these court reporters, uh, not court reporters, these attorneys rather, um, their feelings for the background of this court case that went on through 1968. And, um, in their really unique observations because they're serious, they're not teen magazine interviews, and they're not also dated uh, from, you know, later on after the monkeys uh, were long gone. They're right in the middle of the monkey success. The, a lot of these interviews were done in May of 1967. So I started going through this stuff and I started to try and integrate it into the book. And then I realized, you know, I can't integrate this stuff into the book. This changes so many things that I know about the monkeys. And I spent 15 years on my original version of the book studying the monkeys to get that book together. And I realized I've got to rewrite my book. This is a rewrite. This, this isn't just a revision. And then COVID happened and I'm here in my house. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is the time that you've got to do this. And there's still a lot of people out there who are like, but I need to know about the state fair that they played at 
1987 or whatever. And I get that you want to know that information, but I think you do know that information, but I think you want to see it in a book because you can say, hey, that's my memory of the day that I got to see them. And that's a special time for me. But this other part of the book, this early part, which you probably think you know everything about the monkeys from this era. Let me tell you, you don't know the story of the monkeys from this era in, in this way. I learned a lot. And it, it kind of brought to mind uh, my feeling when I was reading the, the Beatles book, uh, Tune In by Mark Lewison in 2014. Great book. Where everybody thought, oh, it's the Beatles. We know everything. Their early era is boring, uh, you know, before they're successful. But he brought to light all of this interesting stuff and in how the thing te the Beatles teetered on the edge of not even happening or not even staying together as a group, you know, in the early days. And it's the same thing with the monkeys. And I went back and I looked at their lives leading up to the monkeys. And uh, I used a lot of archival newspaper sources. And um, I found out just a ton about what they were doing before the monkeys that I didn't have in the original book. And I tied it into all this new information, wonderful interviews with Michael Nesmith and Davy Jones. And then I started looking through my own archive. You know, I interviewed these guys a bunch of times and not all of those interviews were ever published. I'm going to go back and grab the relevant, interesting details from those and really make this book kind of a celebration of their original era, which the original book was as well. But this book had an opportunity to do something uh, unique. And so now I'm deep into re rewriting 1968, which was the toughest year to write in the original book. And for all the fans who love the later era monkeys that were was never really written about uh, in detail in the other books. And that's why a lot of people love the 1969 uh, chapter of my book. There's a lot of new 1969 information. There's a lot of new 1970. And I also found that the monkeys as a unit and contractually went into 1971. I found out a lot about the contracts and how the monkeys worked and coal gems and all this other stuff. So all of this is in this new version of the book. And I've been reluctant to really tell people too much about it because I want to tell people about it and then tell them exactly how to buy it. But right now, it's just getting finished, and I hope to be finished by the end of the year. And as I've said online, it's going to take about three or four months to print the book because I'm printing the book myself, mm -hmm. and it's going to be done in a very special way. Um, there'll be a couple of different versions of the book um, at two different price points, possibly three different price points, and it'll be available directly from me, and it'll be in a limited edition because – as much as we are all fans and believe that uh, everybody's into this, that there's a limited amount of people who are into it. I want to cater to them. I'm going to have a website. You know, it'll be available worldwide, um, and you'll be able to buy it directly from the website. And we'll have the prices and everything. And when I'm ready, we'll know all of the exact information of how to get it. We may do a, a pre-order for people who want to get. Uh, I'm planning a special super deluxe edition in a clamshell case, cloth covered, hardback book with replicas of important uh, ephemera that I found and photos. And then there'll probably be a hardback edition that'll come in a slip cover that'll be less costly. And we'll see what the interest is in, in those things. If, if uh, I, you know, I can't afford to do a trade paperback like the original book, which sold you know thousands of copies uh originally but that was in an era where there was tower records that just had it in all the shelves and mm -hmm. 
you know, there were all these brick and mortar bookstores. I know that there's Amazon, but I have to be honest with everybody. It's not a greedy thing, but I've, de I've literally devoted a chunk of my life, not just this year, but in past years to it. And the thing with Amazon is that, you know, they do these print on demand books and they, they're not that stunning visually. Like I have all of these unpublished photos I want to share with people. The book is going to be 100% color throughout uh, the book, which my original book was black and white. Um, you know, I have an opportunity to do a really beautiful thing here uh, with the monkey story and I want to do something of real quality. So with Amazon, if you give it to them, they take 60% of the price and they give the author 40%. <laughs> That's usually the deal. And yeah, you know, you'll sell more copies, but you don't, you won't, I wouldn't be able to do it in the kind of quality that I want. And I, I it wouldn't really be, I wouldn't be able to devote, I'd have to take like a third or fourth job to support selling it on Amazon, right. you know? And, and that's the unfortunate thing about uh, art and uh, these days and distributing it. It's it's sad. It's just the way it is. I I, I you know I'm not going to change the world. I I buy stuff off Amazon too. But I and I support all the authors who do their books as print on demand on Amazon. I, I think that it's great that it's made the stuff within reach. But I I have a special thought about the monkey story, and I, I want to put it out in a way that's going to last your your the rest of your life. That it's not going to be a book you read overnight. It's going to be a book that you're going to go back to. You're going to listen, you read it while you're listening to your records, your, your files, you're going to delve into it. And, uh, and it's, it's going to be a book you're going to pick through for years to come. That's the kind of job I'm trying to do. Um, it's going to be one that's going to last. Fantastic. I'll tell you my experience with your book. When I got it, I would use it to like, you know, almost like you would in an encyclopedia. You need to look something up. Boom, you'd find it. There it is, right? But a few years ago, my family and I went on a vacation. And this was my vacation book, if you will. So I'm carrying this thing around that's like, you know, the size of a coffee table. You know, the old joke about a coffee table book that's the size of a coffee table. <laughs> but uh, I'm carrying this thing around and I'm like, this is going to be the most boring thing in the world. You know, why did I pick this book? And as I'm reading it, this story unfolds and you don't really add, I don't know how to say this, you, you really don't add a narrative to it in the sense that you're trying to prove a point. You're just presenting the reality, right? Right. But as we get closer towards the end and the things dissolving and all that, you can see what happened back on this date and how it affects what happens on this date. And it's almost like seeing this beautiful car crash in slow motion. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. It's not, it's not about me and my version of the monkey story. It's me presenting you like all of the facts and then you can create your own thing. And a lot of other people have taken my work and they've made their own websites uh, or they've made their own books and they've cited my work sometimes or not cited it, but it's, it's a reference book. It's, and it's, you know, it's going to be exhaustive, this, this, uh, this new version. And I'm really proud of it because I also have the original uh, person, editor and fact checker working with me on, on it that I worked with in 2004. And the fact that we get in our lifetime to revisit and fix the things that bugged us then uh, is wonderful. But, uh, you know, the feedback I'm getting is, wow, you know, this is, uh, 
this is really different than I expected. And, and so for me, that's makes the journey so much, uh, so much richer. I, I look, I wake up each morning excited to dig into my mailbox into, uh, finding out certain things and, and piecing together these pieces of the puzzle. Uh, and especially finding out stuff that people don't know about these other eras. So, um, so it's an exciting journey and I'm really, uh, I, I'm anxious to share it with everybody and trust me, this is not a mythical project that I will be dragging my heels on for years. I have to get this out to you. Um, you know, I, I, it's just, this, this became my job this year. And so you will be reading my book in 2021. Fantastic. If you choose to buy it. <laughs> Definitely something to look forward to and Lord, we need that. Right. So, uh couple things I'd like to mention. Sadly, uh, Spencer Davis has passed away, and if you're a fan of the music of the 60s like we are, this, along with all the other artists that have passed this year, it's just been, it's just, it's been a tough year, right? It really has. You know, in Spencer Davis, I wrote about him a great deal. Uh, just <laughs> 1967, by the way, is the longest chapter in my upcoming book, mm -hmm. because we just found so much information for it. Um and really interesting stuff, too. Uh, but Spencer Davis, when the monkeys, uh, meaning uh, Mickey, Davey, and Michael, first went to England in February of 67 together, or kind of individually, but met up there, uh, and they were meeting different artists. The artist that Mickey, I think, most wanted to meet was Spencer Davis, and he ended up hanging out with Mickey quite a bit in that era, and uh, also in Mickey's budding uh, romance with Samantha Just. So he's all part of that story. And then when the monkeys come back to England at the end of June of 67 uh, through early July when they're playing at Wembley, uh, Spencer's there. And I had the good uh, opportunity to go visit Spencer. He lived on Catalina Island, which is sort of off the coast of uh, California. And Mickey was doing an event there with him for a museum exhibit a few years back. And so I got to see the two of them interacting and, um, you know, Mickey still always loves to perform. Give me some love. And he, he just, he's a, he was a huge Spencer Davis group fan. I think he still is. So it's a sad passing. And we would like to encourage you to check out Mickey Dolan's performing. Give me some love and live on the Mickey Dolan's live at the Arcadia DVD, which you can actually get signed from his eBay store. So check that out.
hoping to have an exciting Mickey Dolan's project uh, to share with everybody sometime soon after my book. So um, digging into archives and other things has uncovered some amazing material. And I hope that this is not the last book that I do. I hope to have a series of different books that will be of interest to Monkeys fans. So mm -hmm. when I can reveal definitive details and not speculation, you'll hear it here first. Fantastic. Wonderful. And on the last episode, we talked about Dolan Singh's Nesmith. So this is another cool thing that's going on. And any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, my thoughts are it's going to be an incredible record. Um, it's still in progress. Mm -hmm. And so the different elements of it have not coalesced into a final track list or final mixes or anything else. But Christian has just worked up some amazing arrangements. I've just been thrilled to open up my uh, my inbox and hear what he's come up with each time. It's it's really it's been another of the surprises of this year, a good surprise where, you know, you start out thinking something's going to be one way and then it turns into something else. And it's just even more exciting and like, wow, this is going to be so cool. So that's those that's my thought. <laughs> Dolan sings that's with this. Wow, this is going to be so cool. Mm -hmm. So uh, I can't wait to hear more, and um, I can't wait for everybody to get to hear some bits and pieces of what I've been hearing. It has been a fantastic last few years for Monkeys fans. Uh, at a time when people had written the Monkeys off and then even found them again culturally, right, during the 50th anniversary and uh, all the different re-releases, whether it be Rhino 7A or uh, this this new release on the uh, run out the groove, right? But it's been amazing that it just keeps on going and going. It's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving Clark, right? To, to quote uh, Christmas vacation, but <laughs> here we are. And, you know, I want to thank you for the grace that you have handled uh, a lot of people in the fan community and I also want to thank you for the way that you have treated us as a podcast and as people and as fellow Monkeys fans you have always went out of your way to be fantastic uh, you and John Hughes and the, the Monkeys touring band and the Monkeys themselves uh, seriously thank you I just, just want to say thank you oh well, I, I so appreciate you saying that. It's very nice of you to say. Um, you know, I just don't have any <laughs> other setting. I, I feel bad when I when I can't answer every question or, or I feel I've let anybody down. It's just it's just the way I am as a as a to be completely personal with you and everybody out there. It it hurts me to not be able to give people what what it is that they want, uh when they want it. And I occasionally I I have to I have to do that, and that's uh, it's unfortunate. So instead of thinking about the nice thing you just said, I'm just thinking about like the times I have been able to do that. But that I'm 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 thoughtful uh, about the monkeys and thoughtful about the fans, and I realize uh, what the fans have built for the monkeys uh, beyond just the four guys, what it means, and I I'm always looking into the future of when uh, when I'm not here or when anybody's not around to tell the story of the monkeys that I want their legacy to be really rich and important. And that's what I've been trying to uh, build. Um, and, and that's what the fans have helped build because 
if it, if if I was just the only person interested in it, it wouldn't matter. But there are a lot of people interested in it and interested in their story and interested in their records, and that makes this job really not a job. It makes it a wonderful you know process. It's been just a big part of my life. And the four guys and the monkeys uh, are just sensational, talented, and fascinating people. That's why I can sit and write about them uh, and uh, day in and day out and and listen to their music. I think that they created something that's completely unexpected. It was supposed to be an ephemeral TV show that was supposed to be tossed out after a couple of years. You weren't supposed to hold on to your teen magazines. You weren't supposed to hold on to these stupid records. You were supposed to move on to more adult things or different things, but there's something that's really lasting and a value in the monkeys, in the monkeys story and the monkeys music and those four guys. And you can, and that's the sort of thing I get my sense when I'm writing about them and I'm still researching stuff and finding stuff. It's that, boy, you know, they did things just a little bit differently than anybody else. They're really, really kind of amazing. It's an amazing story. So I thank you and I thank all of the fans and I'm really looking forward to sharing more of the monkeys with you all soon. Well, you just kind of maybe said something you didn't mean to say. But since the runout groove, uh, you know, this has been such a huge success. I wonder if they'll have a poll about more of the monkeys. You know, I wonder. I wonder if I said that. Hmm. I wonder. Just out of. I wonder. Yeah. Hmm. Wouldn't that be something to quote John Hughes? (laughs) Wouldn't that? Yeah. So you know, a lot to look forward to in the future. Um, And that's a nice thing. We all need that. absolutely so here is looking for the very best that is yet to come so but we've been here since 2014 and here we are and we're here with you and we are so glad though we're not going to get political i do encourage everyone to go vote i want everyone to be (laughs) safe on halloween wear a mask not just on halloween protect one another love one another there's there's a song that says something about love one another isn't there i seem to recall it was used on a TV show as the outro theme. Remember that? Uh, I remember it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I miss Peter a lot, too. I think about Peter so much, especially in this journey, and not to take things into a different direction, but, um, and Davey, too. I just, my personal experiences with them, um, but, uh, but Peter, especially in this, in this time, in this, uh, I, I just, I wonder how he, he would have felt about some of the political things going on and, and other things, because he was so, um, energetic about his, his feelings and his beliefs. And, um, so I miss him a lot and I miss David too. I, I, uh, but you know, be good to one another, love one another and, and let's try and keep this going. You know, let's, let's try and stay healthy and, uh, and, 
and and live to to see the other miracles that could be out there. Fantastic. Great way to sum up the show. I want to thank you for being here today. We want to thank you, the listener, for being here today. And we'll see you all on the next episode of Zilch. We will be back with Monkeys 101, talking about one of the fine Monkeys television shows with Sarah and Dr. Roseanne Welsh. And we will be back and in your ears before you know it. So with more Monkeys news and more monkeying around. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Ken. All right. We will see you on the next episode. See you, Andrew. Bye. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.